So as most of you know, and if you are visitors, um, we've been on, on the series, What Does God Want? We did tell you at the, end of the beginning of the year that it would probably take us most of the year to get through. We'll see how that goes. Um, but the, where, we, where we were originally, where we, we looked at just the story of God all the way up to where, what does he want from us um, in this process? And uh, what does he want ultimately is me and you, but uh, there's a discipleship process that he's called us into, and I spoke about that last week. And uh, who is a disciple of Jesus is what I asked. And it's an apprentice of Jesus learning from him on how to lead my life in the kingdom of God as he would if he were me or I. So in other words, how would Jesus lead your life? Because if you are being an apprentice of him, he is going to lead and guide you through the Holy Spirit who's inside of you to lead the life that he actually destined and designed for you, his preferred future for you, or lead you into his preferred future for you. And essentially, this is about being with Jesus so that we can become like him, so that we can do the things that he would do if he was me. In essence, that's the simplicity of it all. Now, God is more interested in you and who you are becoming than what you do. And your biggest gift that you can give God is who you become. Because remember, at the end of this age, when Project Planet Earth is closed off and the new heaven and the earth is made, that's what you take into heaven. You've got an opportunity to build character and to build who you are because that's what you take in. Once that's all happened, that's all ended. That's why it talks about the rewards that are also in heaven. There's rewards here on Project Planet Earth, but there's also rewards in heaven. And we, if we understand that. Now, I want to I just stop for a moment and say we must remember that, yes, Jesus died on the cross. We just sang about it. And we sang about the fact that he dealt with the death that sin caused. The wages of sin is death. And then his resurrection makes new and abundant life possible. There's two texts right there. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and 6.23. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, ultimately it's for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so we understand that, yes, Jesus dealt with the death issue. But we must also remember that he also dealt with the power of sin. Because actually it was impossible to not sin before Jesus came. But he dealt with that, and he dealt with the depravity of the watchers. Now you go, who are the watchers? Well, go and have a look at Genesis chapter 6, and go back to our series, um, earlier messages, and you will see who the watchers are. And they had sex with women, and they created a de depravity that took humanity's sin to another level. And we see it in the world today, just the, the degree to which the New Testament says we will invent ways of doing evil. And that's what's happening across our world in all of its craziness. And, and the text says this, Romans chapter 6, is for if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection like his. For we know that the Lord, we know that our, our old self was crucified with him and that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. The power of sin and death have been dealt with by Jesus at the cross and by his resurrection. And then we must also remember that he restored the nations back to himself. I don't know how we can reiterate this more and more. Remember, at the Tower of Babel, God disinherited the nations and started afresh with Abraham in Genesis 12 to build a new nation that would then become, take on that Eden mandate to, to God was blessing them to be a blessing to all the nations. So we start to see the story unfold as it comes. And then when Jesus dies on the cross... And the way he does it, remember, he goes to Mount Hermon and he transfigures in front of the principalities and powers. That's where the watchers came down. That's where the sons of God, the spiritual beings that God had created, God's sons, 
that he had created in the heavenly realms come down and they, they, they polluted Project Planet Earth. He goes there and he transfigures before them and picks a fight with them and a week later he's dead. But Jesus restores the nations back to God. Now, those nations were handed over to sons of God in Genesis chapter 11 and they really did not rule very well. So God judges them and that's why Psalm 82 is such an important text as well as Deuteronomy 32 and others. It says, the gods, the Elohim, know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. Or in some translations, it says, you will die like men. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. See how it all fits together. Now, many of us haven't been taught most of that. Jesus died for my sins, cross, thank you. But actually, Jesus did way more than that. He's more magnificent than we ever thought he was. His love for us is greater and and more far-reaching than we could ever dream or imagine. And so the important thing is, is that we are then restored to work for God and with God, because that's how it was always intended. Just like his sons um, in heaven, spiritual sons, the Elohim, the sons of God as described in all of the texts in the Old Testament, what they would do, they were supposed to help God in his divine counsel to administrate what he wanted to do. Do you know that we will judge angels? Do you know that we will take the place of the spiritual sons that God has right now? In the new heaven and the new earth. Do you know that we are the apple of his eye? Do you know that he knows every head on your head and loves you with a love that is unchanging? So when we understand that, then we know that we've become little Edens. I know Greg and Sue, they named their daughter Eden. (laughs) So you don't become her, but... We become what, what Eden was, where heaven and earth meet, and we, we, it, we, we are given the mandate to extend that into the world. We are Edens with arms and legs on it, and we go throughout the world, and we put God's fingerprints on everybody as we touch them. We become that sacred space, which we used to be before sin entered this world. And that sacred space is where God presences himself, and we are renewed in the sense of Eden to take that mandate 2.0, <laughs> I actually think it's probably 3.0 because uh, 2.0 was actually Abraham. Now, 3.0 is actually us who are little Edens, sacred spaces with the Holy Spirit inside of us to go and to influence the world around us. And Louise said it a couple of weeks ago, and I reiterated that the gospel is the antidote to the depravity of this world. Because if we understand what the gospel is, and we understand that that's the restoration of Eden and what we are called to in our discipleship of Jesus then what we start to understand is what our mandate is and that we are called to disciple the nations proclaiming the gospel to them so that they will come and be discipled by Jesus. See, we live in a world, if you read the New Testament, Paul speaks about all these uh, spiritual forces. He talks about these principalities and these powers. Go read Paul, all over, especially in Ephesians. And in all of this what's happened is, is these are the, the fallen sons of God that still are trying to rule and reign the nations and their geographical kind of setups, the spiritual geographical areas in which they dominate. So that's why different worlds, I mean, different countries have, have different spiritual expressions. Different cities have different spiritual expressions. Why does, why does uh, Joburg have this kind of uh, greed attached to it with the city of gold? Why does Durban have a witchcraft 
kind of spirit attached to it, etc., etc. Why, if you go to different countries, do you see different aspects of the expression of the sinfulness and the depravity of, of, of humanity that we've learned through the watches and witchcraft and, you know, astrology and sexuality and, and all of that stuff which is getting pervaded? I can't remember who I was talking to recently. It was actually Grant Morgan. He's not here this morning. And he was listening to a rabbi speaking on, you know, in the Old Testament, you've got uh, Moloch and you've got uh, Baal and you've got Ashtara. And these were all the, the, the gods of the time or the, the idol worship that, gods that, that Israel would worship or the times that the people around would worship. And it's interesting that Ashtara was the one and Baal were the ones who wanted ch- child sacrifice. And that's what abortion is, isn't it? It's child sacrificing children in the name of, hey, don't, don't impact my lovely world here. I can do what I want sexually. I can do whatever I want to do in my depravity. But if a child is then conceived, now I just kill it. And it's okay because it's not a child yet. So I will just sacrifice his babies. We look at the New Testament. How could you sacrifice a child? Well, we do it all the time. Millions upon, in fact, tens and tens upon millions of children are sacrificed throughout each year that we live. And then what happens is, is that these spiritual forces influence these spiritual, or influence uh, uh, people who have influence in our world. Who do you think is influencing Putin? Who influenced Hitler? Who influences these crazy murderers who go around doing crazy things? They have been drawn in and they have been influenced by these spiritual forces, these principalities, these powers. <clears throat> Social media is in itself not evil, but boy oh boy, these principalities and powers have used it to, their, to, to achieve their means. Because now, if you're unsure about and you're going through puberty and you're not sure about who you are, well, you just change your body and become a, the opposite sex that you were born with. God made a mistake. And that's the kind of world that we live in. See, our world lacks leadership, doesn't it? <clears throat> no more so than our country. President, President Ramaphosa, my friend, you have been the most biggest disappointment for me, personally. You're not my savior, but I really expected you to do more to deal with the corruption in our country. But he's done. He's just joined it. What about the rest of the world? We could, we could, we could take any country, and the leadership is just lacking from start to finish. And so the, pers- the, the, the deepest need of our world today is personal leadership. We can point to Ramaphosa. We can point to Joe Biden. We can point to Donald Trump. We can point to um, <clears throat> you know, whoever the, the Prime Minister of England is today, uh, or the Britain, that keeps changing every two weeks. But the point is, is that leading ourselves to Jesus is the most important thing. Because if we take ownership of who we are and stop pointing at everybody else for our problems, and we allow Holy Spirit to lead us to Jesus and we present ourselves with Jesus, then we are changed, and then we get to change the rest of the world. And this is essentially spiritual formation. For those who've been around, it's a word that we've used very often. And it's only achieved through discipleship. It's becoming the apprentice of Jesus. And that's what spiritual formation is. It's this incremental and irrevocable recalibration of our souls, our inner life, to be more like Jesus so that the outer life leaves Jesus' fingerprints on the earth that we live in. See, everybody is formed spiritually, no matter what you believe in. You don't have to believe in Jesus to be on a spiritual formation journey. You're on that regardless. It's just the destination is where we land up is what's important. So probably the most important thing that I've learned, and this is from John Mark Comer. He gets the accolades for this. 
and, and it's got aspects of Dallas Willard and stuff, but whatever you do this week, and I know I've shared this many times, but when I see it again, I got, I'm reminded again. I'm reminded for myself, because this is all about leading myself to Jesus. Or put, let me put it this way. Leading myself to make decisions to be with Jesus and prioritizing that. And my voice is going. And I pause for effect. Is your story is what you do every day. How, how does your week work? Sorry, Sean, I'm all, I'm, I know I'm jumping around. You know, when we went to COVID and I was told I needed to stand in, they even gave me spaces. But now I'm free. So... <laughs> Um, I think Jenna was on last week. She said, Dad, geez, I, I lost you a few times. <laughs> uh, so those who are watching online, apologies, but you'll still hear the message. But the point is, is your story will unfold regardless. How does your week? Generally, most of us got kids or you got work, and so you get up on Monday morning and you have breakfast and you get your kids to school and then you go to work and you, you do what you need to do at work and you come home and uh, maybe you've got a meeting that night or maybe you watch a bit of TV or maybe you watch a movie or... Maybe you've got a date night with your wife or your husband, or you know, and, and then this happens, and then Tuesday maybe you've got life group and in the evening, but kind of that's what happens, and, and life just happens to you. You are being formed. That's your story, and you've got the habits that happen every single day that you do. How do you brush your teeth? When do you brush your teeth? Do you do those things? Do you, uh, do you go and do this? Do you, like, I, I prefer showering in the morning rather than at night. Others prefer showering at night to get into bed because they feel clean. We just have to change our bed sheets more often because I'm dirty when I get into bed. But the point is, is that we have these habits that just, that's what we do. That's how we go about it. That's how we live out our lives. And they will happen in relationships that follow the same things that you do. If your kids play cricket, you will make relationships with parents whose kids play cricket. If your kids swim, like we had our, um, our kids went to have um, the uh, prize-giving awards for the Club Crusaders, which is part of the Sincidians Network. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can just boast, which is great, because I've got the mic. But both uh, Dylan and Ella won uh, the best male and female swimmer for level two in the, in the club. And, and, and Jordan got a whole bunch of awards as well, and he's done really well as he swam at Nationals. So what happens is we start to engage people. What was amazing was... The lady that was at our table was friends with my sister at school and grew up in the same road as us. But what happens is you start to build relationships because you start to see them at Godless. You start to engage. You, you, you build relationships with the people just because that's how your life unfolds. The people at work, your colleagues, your boss, your, those are the people that you spend most of your time with and you build relationships. That's what's going to happen to your life regardless. But you see, what we do need, that's unintentional spiritual formation. What we do need is we need teaching that gives us the knowledge of who Jesus is. That's why we've been doing this series. That's why we said some of the stuff's going to be difficult to process and whatever, but stay the course because we want to give you knowledge and we want to give you a true understanding of what the gospel is because when you understand the scandal of the gospel, it actually sounds like it's too good to be true. It's called the good news, but it's news that's too good to be true, but it is. And when we allow ourselves and that to flood over us, and that's what we express into the highways and byways of life, when we understand that knowledge, it changes the way and it helps us deal with the habits that we're doing and it helps us instill practices in our lives to overcome the habits that we're doing. And I'm going to get into some of those details. That teaching then, it's, through, it's not through trying hard, but it's through training. So let me give you this example. If you want to run the Comrades Marathon this year, 
Well, it's already happened. What has happened? It's coming. Probably too late to start training for it. But it's clearly humanly possible to do it. Okay? Many people, I know just, I think, run it. Um, I don't know who else in this auditorium is mad enough to run it. But uh, there we go. I think Neil's done it. And, but the point is, is it Neil or Sue's done it? Neil, there we go. <laughs> you go, yeah, yeah. Neil, not me. Um, but there is no ways, well, let me rephrase it. My boss, Trevor, who passed away last year, and I've mentioned him a number of times, my ex-boss, who, who uh, you know, was, was quite a shock when he passed away suddenly of a heart attack. But he was, he was a, an amazing guy where he had, he had this bet with one of the ladies when I was at Deloitte in, our, in the tax department, and I'm talking early 2000s. And uh, he... Um, he said to her, I will run a marathon before the end of the year. And Trevor was a little overweight and unfit as, as he came. And uh, he loved his Coke. Not Coke, but Coca-Cola. Um, and uh, he, um, although, I mean, maybe, maybe he did other things, I don't know. But certainly, he always had a Coke in his hand. Anyway, he, um, he gets to the 31st of December of that year and realizes he hasn't run the marathon. So at about 4 or 5 o'clock that afternoon, he puts his running shoes on, and he goes and he runs the marathon. So above anything, he was a very stubborn, very <laughs> determined man. And he finished the marathon at about half past 11 that night. He couldn't walk for about a week, but he did it. The point is, though, if he had trained and did one kilometer, worked that up to five kilometers, worked that up to 10 kilometers, worked that up, well, then he would do the 42-kilometer marathon relatively easy. I mean, if you race it, it's a bit harder because you're pushing hard. But to run 42 kilometers for somebody who has trained it is relatively easy. But what we do is we think, oh, overnight we're going to land up with this. And I'm going to try harder. When actually it's not about trying harder. It's about putting in these incremental training moments so that we get fitter, so that we're able to do the things that get us to Jesus. And what happens then is, the practices start to develop. Spiritual practices is when I carve out time and space so I can pay attention to and respond to the ongoing work or effort of God in my life. It's a Dallas Willard quote. So if I've got this teaching that's informing me how I change my practices or habits through practices, what happens then is those relationships that are happening because that's where I move and have my being, they still stay, but actually now I do that in community. I've got brother, brother, and sister, sandpaper, that I haven't chosen to be with, but I have in some sense, but they forged something in me because they're different from me. But now I choose to be in community with them. And not only is there a, a challenge in that forging my, my own soul and my own personality and, and dealing with stuff, but actually what I do is I, I also get loved and I'm able to love others unconditionally that I would ne not necessarily have chosen to be in relationship with outside of the gospel. Then what happens is, is the environment that forged all of what happened before gets replaced by Holy Spirit. And he leads and he empowers me in the presence of God to be transformed from the inside out. Which is what we sang just now, which I asked Dale to sing this morning. Because God comes and he, he does stuff in us and through us. But it's actually not through direct effort, it's through indirect effort as I train incrementally through spiritual practices that lead me to Jesus, that I can be in his presence so that I can become like him, so that I can do the things that he would do if he were I. 
So spiritual disciplines and these practices do everything from soul, body, and mind. There's all these exercises. The spiritual is a spiritual practice, by the way. Sometimes a spiritual practice for you is just to have more sleep. And they have to be kind of entwined into this place where they are geared and arranged because we're all so different. We've all got different personalities. We've all got different ways in which we do things. So Louise loves to journal. And she writes and she's got all these little color pens and little this and little da da da. If you look at my journal, I had an entry at the beginning of the year, maybe one or two since then. But I prefer just to go and walk and talk with God. What, are, what, are you, what is your spiritual practices that fit what you've got? But what it does is it opens up the whole person to the presence of God for him to come and deal with all of that stuff. And so how does this work and how does this happen? Because throughout our lives, you know, you can start tomorrow. Why don't you just start with one scripture tomorrow if you don't? That's the incremental start. Go and start with Psalm 23. Just read it a few times. Pray five minutes. And you incrementally do that. And then throughout the day, set your alarm clock. We've got all kinds of devices that can help us do this. At work at 10 o'clock when you have tea, just take five minutes and go outside for a walk and just engage God. And whatever's going on in your office today, and maybe stuff's fallen over, take that five minutes to have a daily office, as uh, Pete Scazzera calls it, and just engage God. Lord, I'm feeling stressed today. This last two weeks I've been doing you know, some work, and I'm feeling stressed about it. Ask Louise, and I'm going, Lord Jesus, help me. I can't see how this is connecting. I'm missing it somewhere. Getting frustrated with myself, feeling really stupid. Worried about what my employer is thinking of me. Why can't Gary do this? But then understanding, actually, hold on a second. It's, I need insight, and all of a sudden things started to happen. Why? Because I stopped, and I, more out of desperation than anything else, to be honest, was Jesus helped me. I said that a number of times over the last few weeks. The point is, is I stopped, and I asked Jesus for help. And the question is, we should be doing that throughout our, our, our weeks. What, what about having a meal with somebody in the community? Someone you don't really know, but you, you want to connect with. What about taking, carving out some time and having a bit of a Sabbath over the weekend or on a day that you can? A 24-hour session where you, you just have some time of silence and solitude. We've got the silence and solitude retreat coming up. And I know it's fully booked, but we'll, we'll probably do another one. But I will guarantee you, everybody who goes on that will come back different. Because there's something about being take, just stopping the noise in your head and the world's noise and sitting with Jesus and allowing him to come and fill you. And Alexander and Jill are just masters of helping us do that. As opposed to me going, I'm going to try hard this week to be with Jesus. What did Yoda say? Exactly. When, when Luke said, I'm trying. There is no try. There is only do. Let's be like Yoda this week. Three conditions for spiritual growth. I finished this off. I finished off my last preach with, with this. Was actually this this whole thing is actually around personality as well. This is not just for spiritual formation. This is about anything that you want to do, and uh, it's important that this applies to all of life. Number one, do you have a vision to be with Jesus? If you don't have a vision to be with Jesus, then if you don't see the goodness, if you don't see the goodness in running the Comrades Marathon and wanting to achieve that, you won't do it. Like, I know Louise will never run the Comrades Marathon. She sees absolutely no value in that whatsoever. 
But why did, why did Justin run it? Because he saw value in it for multiple reasons. Why do we ride 94.7 for TNT? Because we see the goodness in what we're doing and we have a vision for it. Dylan's not here, he's gone on camp. But I rode with my boy this year and he wanted to give up so many times. And I, and I, I walked with him and I, we walked up uh, Jan Smuts up, up the zoo hill there, which is a hectic hill. But we managed to finish with the team. And my boy was happy that he got there, but I had to envision him. And I, for me, the day is just an amazing thing of, of seeing guys who would never be participating in the city in a chariot, in, in, enjoying just the, the, the moments of, okay, five hours for us on a saddle, you know, going through town and going through people cheering and, and connecting with people and, and having these great conversations with people on the bikes next to you and meeting new people and, and just seeing guys dressed up for charities and all that. The day, for me, there's a goodness in it, and that's why I continue to do it. It's becoming harder and harder as I get older, and I'm doing less and less training, so when I get there, it becomes more difficult. But the point is, is when we have that, then what will happen is, is I'll have the, attention, the intention to make a decision to start training for it so that I'll do it. Secondly, these are the intention. That's the intention to fulfill the vision and to make the decision, okay, I'm going to get up early to train. I'm going to go to the power lab and train. I'm going to get up on Saturday morning to go out into the cradle with the team and train. If you don't see the goodness in it, you won't make that decision. You'll wake up and you go, no. Yeah, I see the smiles. Everybody knows that feeling. Then we've got the means. Because you need the means to realize the vision. If you don't have a bike, guess what? Riding 94.7 is going to be quite difficult. Although, I mean, I've seen guys ride on a unicycle. I mean, Justin rode it on a postman's bike, one speed the one year. I mean, people do crazy things. But the point is, is if you want to realize the vision, you know what you want to do, then what you do is you implement these, these, these practices, these spiritual disciplines in place that actually help you train incrementally so that when the moment comes, you're able to actually ride the race. Obviously, the metaphor of the same thing with our spiritual formation. Why are you here this morning at church? I hope you're not doing what I said last week, that you're just a consumer of religious goods and services. That you feel you have to be here, otherwise God won't love you, because then you're not reading the gospel right. You get to be here because of the gospel. You get to be in community. You get to love other people. You get to help other people through seasons that are difficult in their lives. You get to do this because of the gospel, this amazing gospel and King Jesus that whom we serve. It's not about just coming to church, but it's about, remember the triangle, it's about learning, teaching. That's why we've taught you guys the stuff we've done. As I said, some of it's been difficult. But if you keep, while we, I keep saying it, I've got an adage, many of you have heard it. How many times do you say something? Just one more time. Because when you start to understand how this, this meta-narrative of the Bible is unfolding and what Jesus has done and what he is going to do and what he's asked of us to do right now, then we start to, we have vision. When we see vision, we start to do what he's asked us to do. And then ultimately, don't make a list. Don't go, okay, I must journal. I must have time of silence and solitude. I must have a Sabbath. I must do this and I must do that. Because I promise you, by the end of that, you will not do it. Find out what works for you. Start with one practice that leads you to Jesus, to be with him. What would you say to somebody if, if you knew it was the last time that you were going to see them? I think if, if 
I think if I knew it was the last time I saw Bosco on Sunday, I would have said, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for always greeting me with a smile that was bigger than you. You were a man of small stature, but oh my goodness, you, you left your, when, when I engaged you, I, I walked away feeling loved and accepted and important. He gave these great hugs. But I wonder what I would have said if I knew that was the last time. Now, the last time Jesus saw his disciples, he says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had called them or told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When Jesus came to them, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Hmm. That's what he said to them, and then he ascended. I don't know about you, but you go, whoa, what, what just happened? But that's what he told them, and I've shared some of the discipleship stuff there. So I want to quickly go through this and, and, and kind of exposit this text. So number one, verse 16, Jesus often went up a mountain to pray. We see in John 16, uh, John 6, 15, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. My question to you this morning is, do you have a mountain that you go to? It's not a mountain, is it? It's a place. That's, uh, my, my, my favorite spaces is both in the mountains and in, by the coast. But I'm mostly at home. So where's my, where's my space? Where's my, where's my mountain where I go to respond to the invitation of Jesus? And, and many of us have these different aspects of, of where we really sense. And like I said last week, goodness is a, speaks about the gospel. And that's why when we see goodness and we see peace and we see all of those things, and that's what mountains and seas and oceans do for us, the kingdom of God just feels more present. It's not. It's right here, but it feels more present, and it allows my senses to open up and to hear God, God more clearly. It needs to be this regular point of time. As you saw, Jesus went up there many, many times. That was the invitation. But interestingly that it says the 11, there was one missing. What's stopping you from going up the mountain to respond to the invitation of Jesus? Is it your busyness? I've not had a good season going up the mountain with Jesus. I've been getting up early almost every morning, getting to bed very late, trying to get work done, feeling the, the pressures of, of, of the, the worldly system that, that kind of pushes in on us. But then sometimes guilt and shame, oh, I haven't, so now I'm not worthy. But then you don't know the gospel. Judas wasn't there. Why? Because he betrayed Jesus and then didn't go and seek forgiveness which Jesus would have given him instead through his guilt and shame takes his own life but we do that too we self-sabotage ourselves because we don't feel worthy and we don't understand the gospel and then we start to read stuff into things and we don't understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us maybe you're just lazy stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box Sorry. if you know if you know um, Bob Hewitt yeah, go onto uh, YouTube and go bury it live in a box and have a good laugh. It's an old skit. But the point is, is if you're lazy and you're not playing or you don't see it as important, you won't, you won't do it. Maybe you lack understanding and hopefully some of what we're teaching on now will help you with that understanding. So the vision is number two. They saw him, verse 17. There's something about, I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life where I've seen Jesus. 
I don't see him all the time. I sense him, but I don't always see him. But when you see Jesus, even though it's through a little crack in your soul, it changes you. It transforms you. The question is, do you see Jesus for who he really is and what he's really done for you? That's why we've taught the things we've taught over the season. Because if you do, then you understand what the gospel is and that informs you of our vision for Jesus, how much he loves us, what he has actually done for us, and the goodness of what that means in living in the kingdom from the God love. And when we do that, so that empowers us and enables us to make decisions to do the things that lead us to the presence of Jesus. Thirdly, there's a response. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. The Greek word here is proskineo. And what it means is to, is to literally surrender, to, to kind of kneel. There's a posture of, actually, you are king and I'm not. Remember John in Revelation. I mean, this is a, a disciple that lay on the chest of Jesus. I used to say, lay on the bosom of Jesus. And we said, please don't say that word. So there he is lying on the chest of Jesus. Um, wherever Jesus went, John was, Mount Transfiguration, all of those things. But the risen Christ comes and presents himself before John and he falls down as though dead. Yes, Jesus is our friend. He is our brother. But oh my goodness, more than that, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. I can only imagine. I asked Dale to sing that song this morning. What does that day look like for you? Just standing in the presence of God where all of the junk of this world just falls away and you see the beauty and the love in his eyes for you. What will that day hold? How will you feel? I think I'm going to be speechless. I don't think I'm going to have anything to say except I love you. And you are, you are magnificent. We are created to worship, do you know that? You will worship something. Is God the ultimate thing you worship? Or will good things that God has given us on Project Planet Earth become the things that you worship? Your wife, your husband, your child, your work, your sports, your, I mean, all, there's so many good things God has given us, but if they become ultimate things, we lose out on what God, and they will shape our lives. What we devote ourselves to and spend time with will, do, will shape our lives, our whole lives. If you are going to devote yourself to, to physical exercise, you will see the people that do that and the people that don't. It will literally shape your life. But everything in emotional, spiritual aspects is the same thing. What you gaze upon, what you behold, you become. There is no getting around that. And transformation will only come because you value God above all else. We all have habits. Sorry, we all have doubts. Habits of doubts. Jesus isn't worried about your doubts. Do you know that? He still called all the disciples up. They're with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and they are still doubting. Why don't you have less faith in your doubts and giving them recognition, and maybe give more faith towards Jesus, who is resurrected and has proved that time and time again in various levels. But the point is, is that what is stopping you? Is your doubt stopping you from going up the mountain? Remember the invitation? It wasn't like that Jesus said, like us, hey, come into your study or come into the garden. I want to meet with you. No, no, go walk up that mountain. That's where I want you to be. It was not easy. They had to go on a hike to go and see Jesus. 
but they had a vision of who he was. That's why they did it. But what is stopping you? And if your doubts are stopping you, don't let them stop you from meeting with Jesus, who is the one who transforms you. Then there's the means. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the master of the universe. This is the one who holds the universe in his mouth by the word of his mouth. He could just go, no, thank you. And everything would be obliterated. But he holds everything by what he says. He created the world by what he said. He is, the, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Everything about Jesus is, he owns everything. He has all authority. Satan does not have authority unless you give it to him. God's spiritual sons who have rebelled against him do not have authority unless you give it to him. Sin has been overcome. And in all of this, the degree to which you yield and surrender to Jesus in this process is the degree to which you will have authority to overcome. Remember, spiritual practices, disciplines do not change you. They simply get you to Jesus who changes you. Coming into land, the how, making disciples, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not about getting people wet. This isn't baptism here. It's not water baptism. It's baptizing them into the, the life and the essence of the Trinity. It's plunging them into Jesus, into Father God, into Holy Spirit. Because when we do that, everything changes. It's the perichoresis, as theologians call it. It's the dance of God. And the dance of God is so beautiful because it, it's this, this, this dance that we, we join in. These three that are dancing and we kind of get caught up in it. And I can't dance. I'm a rugby player. But, you know, you, you, just, you just, I've tried. I, I can't. I look like a fool when I dance with Louise. But, but you just, when you watch people who actually dance properly, the, the, the waltz and the whatever, it's, they just float. It doesn't even look like, you think they've got something under their dress, the way they were moving. But there's this, this beautiful dance that God has, that we get to come and we get to participate because he loves us and he's invited us into that space. See, worship is simply a response to the invitation of God. And we get to that place, and then what we do is we in turn bring others to come and dance with God. That's how we disciple the nations. We come and say, yes, I can help you in the process, but ultimately you need to be dancing with Jesus. Too many are watching leaders dancing with Jesus and going, that looks great. But actually, you too are invited into that space to dance with Jesus, the perichoresis. And you know that you will only make a disciple to the extent that you are a disciple. Otherwise, we'll end up manipulating and putting people into a place of performance. You better come to church, otherwise it's sinful. If you're not at church, this and the other, no, no. no there's pollen there, and as bees go for pollen, may you want to come to church because the presence of God is here, and there's a community that loves you and cares for you. And if you're not here, there's a, there's, there's it's like taking a brick out of that wall. It, it, it's broken. When you commit yourself, those bricks are committed. You try to take a committed brick out of that wall, it, it destroys that wall until it gets fixed. And it normally takes time to fix it, and it never looks the same. You can always see that there was a fix. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded, and surely I am with them to the very end of the age. See, are we consumers or are we apprentices? See, a consumer is waiting for something to be created, 
so that they can buy it and use it for their own benefit. Whereas an apprentice is, is helping make, is helping understand, is, is doing what the master was doing and will continue to do. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we understand that, then we have this long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson. And then what happens is each small decision that I make with the intention that I have takes me increasingly to Jesus. And each time I meet with Jesus, I become more like him. I become more like I am who I already am through my salvation. And I then bring other people into that space to follow that same process. And the promise is he will be with us until it is done. And I shared this last week, Dallas Willard's paraphrase of that text. I've been given say over everything in heaven and on earth. So go and make apprentices to me among peoples of every kind to submerge them in the reality of the Trinitarian God and lead them into doing everything I've told you. Now look, I am with you every minute until the job is completely done. So this thing, we are called to be with Jesus and to become like him. And when we see that this response of worship and we understand that through all of this that the gospel informs it, that I don't have to just let my life just happen, but I get taught and I get informed by the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus and Holy Spirit comes and it's the spirit of wisdom and knowledge that helps me know him better, then what happens is, is I get into this place where I, I, I make decisions that discipline myself to be with Jesus because when I'm with him, he, he overshadows me and he, I become like him. And it's through this indirect effort and through these little increments of training that I do that I'm able to run a comrade's marathon with him. That I'm able to navigate the difficulties and the whatever that happen in life. Because there are trials and there are tribulations, as James tells us. Count it all joy. I'm going, how do you count that joy when that happens? How do we count it all joy with Bosco not being here? But when we are with Jesus and we know what he's done, then what we understand is that, okay, I need to lead myself to dance with God again. To, to get into the perichoresis, to get lost in who he is because life is actually just too difficult for me to handle. But I know that Jesus has the answers and he may not take me out of it, but he'll get me through it. And then what I do is I turn and I bring others into that space and I live my life from the God life. And you know what? People's lives are then changed incrementally. And the more people's lives that are changed, then we change the world. Pinky and the brain style. I want to say life house. Come and dance with me as I dance with God. Hopefully, I am an example of that. I haven't been a great example this year with my busyness, but that's changing. We've made decisions to bring about big change that will hopefully come into play over this next little while for me to be more present in the church. But it's difficult because change always brings change. And many of us don't like change. We want it to be the same. Won't you stand, please?